Hey, it's Audrea. Hi, it's Drishti. Hi, it's Jaitan. And it's me, Anand. We just wrapped up talking to Zarna Garg, who is a New York-based comedian, an Indian auntie, who is really the auntie that we all needed. And we're still gushing over her, so we really hope you enjoy our talk with Zarna Garg. Hi, guys. Hi. Namaste from Auntie Z. So let me just see. Drishti and Nirchit. Is that how you say your name? Yeah, legally, my name is Nirchit, but uh, everyone calls me Chetan. Chetan. Okay, cool. Nice to meet you guys. So sweet. And Anand, thank you for this. You were at my show, right? I was, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I, I went to the show on, guys, I don't know if I, if I, if you guys remember, but I went to the show on, uh, like, I think it was Thanksgiving weekend, if not Thanksgiving day. And it was at the Comedy yeah. Cellar, which is like one of the best comedy spots in the world, in my opinion. And, um, and I just went, I wanted to take my girlfriend and her, her family friends and her family to like a place that uh, I wanted to show them like that I knew how to have a good time and I was worried that like at the comedy cellar that you know there's a lot of people at the comedy cellar they tell like really avant-garde jokes and kind of like really new new kind of stuff is experimented with over there so I was hoping they would like it um, being like not comedy nerds themselves but uh, then here comes Zarna Auntie who uh, utterly charms them (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think people are just not used to seeing the whole auntie experience on a stage yet. Yeah, that's right. That's a good way to put it. We're not used yeah. to seeing this figure uh, really applauded, you know, by not just us, but like other people too, you know? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, been, a, it's been a whole exciting journey. Yeah, oh my God. I was like, I was reading your, uh, your daughter's essay and like I was, I was kind of living through her in a way because I was like thinking what is my mom's stand-up comedy? Like, what is it that right. she would like to do, you know, if she were given that water container of encouragement, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of interesting because, you know, as a brown kid, going to like family parties and meeting the community aunties is always, it's kind of a, it's kind of a thing. It's a thing, right? 100%, yeah. And I always had sort of like my favorites that I would go <laughs> to and I knew that, they were going to say something positive or that they were going to encourage me or they were just going to be hilarious, you know? And it's kind of nice to see uh, someone that I would probably look up to and respect there on stage uh, telling and sharing the energy that they have. So I think that's really exciting. No, I like, I encourage them all now. Like everybody get on, you know, you all, everybody's got their stories. But I wonder, you, you know, I wonder you said something I, that they, you expected them to be nice to you. I wonder if Drishti would have the same experience. I wonder if the girls expect them to be nice to them the same way that boys do. It's a thing, right? Desis do that. That I know. I lived in Ohio for many years with my sister. And every weekend was like somebody's birthday, somebody's anniversary, somebody's kid graduating or whatever, you know, whatever. And we all hung out and it was basically like we all ate together pretty much. And uh, I, when I was young in your position and everybody else was an auntie to me, I think I I enjoyed it, but I knew that the jabs were going to come from the aunties. And I do feel that the guys had a different experience that the aunties were more forgiving of the men. With the men, it was a lot more like, oh, what are you doing? Where are you going to college? You know, with the women, it was a lot more like appearance and like more personal. 
stuff at least back in the day i mean i'm sure it's all changed so i actually have a twin brother and like i noticed the exact difference when i go into the house versus when my brother comes when my brother comes they're always asking him like how's his job going like how he's looking hi adria and then when i come it's like like pretty much like half the time it's not really acknowledged or it's just like I don't know it's just definitely like a, a lot different and I've like felt that a lot like the differences between me and him as like a guy and a girl so yeah. yeah I I would agree with that I would expect that and it struck me because you were so natural in saying you know I knew it was they were gonna be nice to me and I was like that's the exact opposite thing <laughs> of what the women would say <laughs> anyway fire away any questions you have or let's just do a stand-up show whatever you guys want <laughs> I'm working on a lot of material about how much brown kids complain in America. So I'm happy to get some feedback. So that's actually kind of a cool point you bring up about. So you do you have a you have a daughter, obviously, but you have a, you yeah, have a son as well, right? I have two boys. Yeah, I have a, my daughter is the oldest and then I have two boys after her. My I have a 16 year old son and a 10 year old son. So how do you think about like when you how do you catch yourself from being um, the same thing that you grew up? with? Oh, like, God, I'm the worst. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I'm completely the worst. I like, I think my sons are amazing. It's like my daughter is always yelling at me about it. Uh, I think I don't, there are definite inherent biases that I can't deny. But what I, the reason I try to, to balance those biases is because I just honestly think that that's not where the world is headed. That life no longer exists. It doesn't even exist in my relationship with my husband. I mean, I work and I do look at the work I do. I'm out till two in the morning every night. Uh, so I'm trying now to, to help my boys be more in tune with the world that they're going to be dealing with. You know what I mean? My inherent bias is that I wish they marry a nice girl who cooks for them and cleans for them and does all. I, I'm being honest with you, admitting it. Yeah, but I know that that world doesn't exist, and it's not right. I mean, I hated that when I was doing it. Yeah, but the hardwiring is there, where I mm. have to talk to myself and say, "This is not right," and that it, you know I have to constantly redirect myself. Mm. And the easiest way I have found to get any impact with the boys is to involve them in my work. Mm. They are they are part of this whole woke generation. Mm. When they see the difference in how women comedians are t- treated with men and there's a huge, it's a chasm. Mm-hmm. Like women comedians will tell you there's a movie out, a very popular movie called Hysterical on Hulu that a veteran female comedian, a friend of mine has made. And it talks about all the obstacles that women in comedy have to go through as opposed to the men. And because my boys see it up close and personal, they have a front row seat to it. I feel like they have a newfound appreciation in general for what women go through and how men are treated in the work environment. Mm-hmm. So they have like an up close and personal lesson with feminism. Like they don't need to 100%. read about it. They're seeing it right in front of them. I mean, they'll see like Anand, you were in the, uh, in the room at the cellar. Men who get, I would say, let's say on a range of one to 10, men who get a five or six level laughs will get booked by the seller over and over. Mm. But a woman has to hit a nine to get mm. that second booking or the third booking. Mm. The third amount book. of pressure that the women live with just to prove that they belong there is incredible. So my sons come to a lot of my shows, they do all my video editing and all that. 
And they're always telling me, they're like, I don't understand how these guys keep getting put on. They don't get the laughs. Mm-hmm. Because the laughs are the metric in a, in a club, right? A comedy right. club. But they're guys and they, they, like, they hang out with the bookers. They have, you know, they talk football. They talk all these other things. And then they, oh, all right, come on in. Because the women, you know, were shut out of all that. And with me, I'm a mom. I do my job. I run out of there. Like, I have no mm-hmm. time to spare. So uh, you're up against a lot. The only way they're going to notice you is if you kill hard every time. And the women who do high stakes jobs, even whether comedy or whatever, will tell you that that tends to be the case. We don't have the luxury. Like you fall flat for a day, you're petrified that the next day you're not going to get booked. Hmm. Wow. But like, just speaking from a member of the audience, I thought you got the nines and the tens on the laughter. You know, I mean, it was clear to me because of how different the material was compared to everything else I saw. And also it was kind of cool guys because of uh, the same night as she was performing. So was Veer Das, you know, it's like the, okay. the, the, you know, you guys know Veer Das, oh, right? Yeah. So I, I kind of felt like he was, he was last. So he was like the headliner. Right. But in the, the audience felt a little bit, I think more comfortable with, with the Zarnanti's comedy. You know, I think it was, it felt really new. Like, cause she, I don't think she, uh, I mean, there was nothing political about it, nothing divisive about it. It was just observations of someone who lives a life that people don't really know much about, you know? Mm-hmm. People have responded. I've been very grateful. Honestly, I've been very lucky. People have responded very favorably to the whole Indian auntie theme because yeah. in America, especially, everybody knows Indian people. Like you have a neighbor, you have a doctor, you have like, it's not so exotic. Everybody mm-hmm. knows an Indian kid who complains about their mom or an Indian mom who is whining about their kid. Uh, Veer Das, for example, in particular, he's a celebrity. He's big deal in India and even here, right? He doesn't have to work as hard. It's exactly what I was saying. Like He can kill if he wants to. But if he doesn't want to or he doesn't feel like it, he can just stand there and riff and just chit-chat. Because right. killing at that level, the nines and tens is a very intentional effort. It yeah. doesn't just happen. You go up there ready to kill. You're like, I am not going to let a minute lapse. Mm. He's probably like, I'm the headliner or whatever. But he believes, and I don't know him personally, but I know enough big deal comedians who, are, who know that people are just thrilled to see them. If they just stood mm. there and did nothing, they would be excited. Right. You know, and You're they right. ride that for a while. Yeah, some of these comedians are here talking and you're like, is this a comedy performance or a TED talk? You know, yeah. <laughs> like, where's the jokes? <laughs> and they have the jokes. They just don't feel like they have to work all the time. Like, so they take the audience a little for granted, you know, yeah. and, and that is a luxury that women can't afford for sure. And I, me, with the oddball quirky status that I have, no one's booking an Indian auntie a second or third time if I'm not absolutely going hysterical on stage, ready to kill. And people are coming out saying, who was that Indian woman? Because mm-hmm. that's the only way the booker knows that I had an impact. They're not in the room. Mm-hmm. So the only way they know is that if people come out and say, who was that Indian woman? When is she going to be up next? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a, yeah. So as you're, as you're navigating your way through this career and this choice, Right. Um, and like, let's just say you're not getting the responses that you're feeling on the job. Yeah. Then you go home and then you have your sort of like comfort base or the people that is it people around you that's keeping you going? Or is it 
this internal dialogue saying that, yes, I know that I'm good at this. Or how did you go about building that foundation of confidence and motivation? So it's all of the above. Uh, Very realistically, I'll be honest with you. I need the money. I I went down this road to be a professional comedian. It was never a hobby. Mm. I needed to go back to work. We have three kids. My husband, Touchwood, has supported us for many years. But you know that the financial responsibilities don't end. It's like we have a home, we have three tuitions, college coming up. So I went down this road being very strict and firm that this has to be a business. Uh, So I don't have the luxury. I had a bad day, get over it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like when when you're not pursuing something as a hobby, it's not optional. You find the ways, you talk to the other professionals and say, how did you get over it when you blew it the last time? And it happens a lot. But I've been very lucky. I'll tell you the auntie, my friends who would be aunties to you guys are the best. I think Indian women, um, at least I have found a very supportive community in Manhattan. Uh, And women in general are starting to understand that if we don't support each other, we're never going to advance. You know, 15 years ago, the story was different. There was a lot of like bickering and like all that going on. I find that that, at least in my experience, is kind of dying down. No one cares what anybody's kid is doing anymore. That's the one thing, like I'm writing a lot of material in this space because the young comics who come up, you know, like Aziz or Nimish or Aziz doesn't do it as much because he thinks more like I do. But Hassan, uh, Nimish Patel, I don't know if you guys follow Nimish. He's really cool, very good comedian. But it's a lot of whining about my mom wanted this and my, my my mom's friend said that and what I'll tell you right now, breaking news, we've stopped caring. All of you guys go do whatever you want to <laughs> do. Marry who you want to marry. You don't want to be a doctor, don't be a doctor, but then find a way to live your life. The problems all start when people start moving back home. Mm. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like I, I have found a very supportive community. Indian community in general has been nothing but hugely supportive across the board and all over the world. I've performed in Switzerland. I've performed in Germany. They come out in numbers that I can't even believe. So I take comfort in that. So in terms of naysayers, just, just throwing a question out there. Do you feel like as you were leading up to taking these steps, there was more naysayers. And then once you decided to put your foot down and say, no, I'm doing this. Did they tend to disappear after that? Or no, is that something that you had to do? make fun of me. There's still people who don't believe this is a business that they think I'm not making any money. They think, how can anyone make money? She's just having fun. Or there are people who assume, oh, her husband must have lost his job. She must. I have been hired to do private events. So there is scattiness, like, you know, there's a lot of like cattiness, but generally the thing about entrepreneurship, whether it's comedy or anything else, is that the founder's vision has to persist. Like you have to believe in it. No one else is going to. That's just a given. Everybody is going to come up with a reason why you should not do something. That's a natural tendency. People are either threatened or they just don't understand, right? Like even, even medicine. I'm sure there are going to be people who are like, there are enough psychiatrists. There are enough, like, how are you going to know? Psychiatry has no money in it or something else is so hard to get it. There is somebody with a negative opinion everywhere. You have to believe you want to do it and then just 
I didn't even give it a thought. I was like, what I was doing is so unusual. I'm like, they're never gonna get it. Right. So my my sell to them always was just come and order drinks and sit there. You guys go out to eat every day. Right. <laughs> right. So I capitalized on that. I was like, you guys go out to eat to every restaurant every day. That's the one thing Indian people do. We eat. Right. So just come and eat here and sit and freaking laugh for 20 minutes. It's not going to kill you. <laughs> but right. the more they came, the more they became like, oh, this is kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same way like Anand, you brought your family. This was you, your generation holding the, the older one's hand and saying, just give it a shot. Now yeah. they may actually consider stand-up comedy as as like a performance art that they want to watch. Sometimes. That's right. Yeah. Right. And actually, that's a really good point because like when you brought up the idea of performance arts, like I know they see people. We're all about performance arts. We've got the dramas. Yeah. We've got the singing, the dancing, the acting, or whatever. And I think I think more and more they're seeing now that actually comedy is also performing art. I mean, I think like our people invented like performing arts like thousands of years ago. Yeah. So it makes sense that it's like continuing in this well, I think way. Humor has had a pushback because we in a general as a people don't have a sense of humor. We take everything personally. So if I if you say something to me, my first instinct is, oh, my God, it's a joke. Have to be chill. You know what I mean? So I think that it's been a little bit of a learning curve to understand that if, if a woman like me is standing up there and trashing Indian men, it's a joke. It's, a, it's an exaggerated observation. It's tongue in cheek. It's making you think it's not a personal attack at any Indian man or my man or any, because the, a question I get a lot is like, how does your husband, with people from India, you let your wife do this as if like I'm committing some grave sin, but once they're in the room and they sit and they laugh with us, they're like, it's just another expression of, you know, it's an artistic expression. Make what you want of it. Mm. But they, but comedy has been harder to come by because generally it's like our people are very sick. This is why I take, I take a lot of wedding gigs on, but I'm so nervous. Those are the gigs that make me the most nervous. Because really? you just don't know when you're going to trip the, the, the wife or the, the groom or the bride. You say something that is absolutely not intended to hurt. But, the you know, or the in-laws, they, you know, I make a lot of mother-in-law jokes. Then you see the mother-in-law getting all grumpy and it's a big event for them spending a lot of money. All their family is there. So I try not to, like, I give them every reason not to book me. And then if they still want to book me, then I'll do it. Then it's on you. Like then I gave you, I was up front. <laughs> and still when I'm there in the moment, I'm very, very careful. Like I'm very extreme. Like in a club, you can take a little more artistic license, but at a wedding, it's like the amount of censorship. And it's like, it's a, it's an unusually high threshold because Indian people in general were not Irish, for example. If it was right. an Irish wedding, I wouldn't think twice. Yes. Right. You know what I mean? They can chill. They can take a joke. The Desis, yeah. you have to be very proceed with caution. Is there anything like that you really want to talk about on stage in a club, but you feel like it's like sort of hard just because it's like hard to, especially for Indian audiences to understand? I'm really scared of talking about religion. I want to mm -hmm. go there. As an artist, I so badly want to go there because everybody else does it. There are so many Jesus jokes. There are so mm -hmm. many Islam, even Islam, sometimes they go there. But Hindu, 
because the government that's in india right now and they are bad shit crazy mm. yeah like and because everything is digital youtube videos make their way all over like you could say something here that somebody filmed and uploaded here there so religion is a one thing i'm and our religion has so many possibilities for comedy with mm-hmm. all the different gods and all but i think <laughs> i'm working my way i've just written like a 3 minute long abortion joke because you know abortion is not a thing in india mm. you know that like i, I don't, don't know, know that actually i didn't you know, know that it's one of the most forward nations in abortion rights and because also it's just too many people they're yeah. like <laughs> if we don't have a baby now there'll be another one in 30 seconds <laughs> you know what i mean and yeah. the people ask me they're like is abortion legal in india i mean legal they have coupons <laughs> <laughs> buy one get one 50% off if it's a girl <laughs> we see it's like i write these jokes and it's it's a little edgy now the government in india could be like oh this indian auntie is saying we are killing girls now, i'm not am i saying that i'm not saying that but they're going to twist it however way they want to suit their agenda so i really abortion is the first step i've taken in the space of like being nervous but overcoming it and it's really because the clubs are so solidly backing me in new york mm-hmm. i talk to the club owners i i you know i try to feel them out because if i get in trouble they get in trouble oh mm-hmm. this happened at this venue Mm-hmm. So I have to get everybody to like get on the same page with me, but they're so solidly with me, and they're like, "Just say it." What? <laughs> you know what I mean? Nice. Um, but religion, I try, and and I think, you know, there's a lot of tension, and maybe you guys can tell me about it. I feel that the immigrant FOB crowd, which I would be a part of, and the ABCDs, I'm assuming all of you guys. Mm-hmm. there's a lot of tension intergenerationally and in general there's like the, the twain don't necessarily mix mm-hmm. so sometimes i want to do jokes in that space and i'm working on it like how to frame it and do it delicately because mm-hmm. i do find that the immigrants who come here have their own like hoity toity higher horse attitude about life and everything and then the the abcds have their own reservation my kids are too right everything everything i say and do is inappropriate to my kids right, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> i can't believe you said that you know no way no one is harder on the fobs than the abcds you know right because they don't so. they don't want to be confused as fobs you know exactly mm-hmm. and but what why i'm proud of being a fob i'm like you should want to be on our team right. <laughs> right. Yeah. but then the fobs have their own hang ups anything mm-hmm. the abcd does like the person could be in deep depression they'll be like so much drama this person does <laughs> no acknowledgement at all like it listen, goes both ways it sure. goes both ways so that's a space that i'm exploring now about, you know to do jokes in that area yeah. but and what i like about while. yeah and what i like about yours is that i mean like you said like you're an indian auntie very upfront about that and i think we've heard plenty of jokes about the indian auntie making fun of them oh their drama oh they're a hard time all that kind and now actually hearing from that perspective that's new like i i don't think that's like pretty unexplored um like there are a couple here and there but like really hearing from that other side the one who's usually the butt of the jokes but you're well, making jokes now that's kind of why i i got into comedy besides the fact mm. that my daughter pretty much pushed me on the stage <laughs> i felt like i've loved like i grew up watching russell peters hasan everybody you guys watch i watch And I would always be like so frustrated. Like enough with mm. the whining about your mom. 
Like Hassan's, uh, you know, video of the homecoming king where he talks about his mom left him and went to India to do med school. I did a whole bit about. I was like, she went back to finish medical. You you make it seem like she was in Hawaii surfing. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. the immigrant experience is filled with sacrifice. Yeah. And and get over. Yeah. Part of me was like, why isn't anybody responding to this? Mm-hmm. Enough with the whining. And not to say that they don't have very many valid points, but it felt very uh, uh, imbalanced. Like it's a yeah. lot of kids whining, and like zero on the other side. And mm-hmm. that kind of gave me, but once I got into it, I feel like we all became one. Like I'm friends with Aziz, I'm friends with Nimesh, you know, we talk about it and, you know, now we riff and it's become, we are all Indian comedians and we're all projecting our experiences from different points of view. And and there's your wedding material. Like they're complaining about the kids that would kill, you know, at a wedding. Oh. <laughs> It does. And but again, like I have to be, I'm so scared. I don't want to mess up anybody's. The truth is that I'm not a big wedding person. Like I don't care about the whole, the, any of it. I think the whole thing is absurd. If you ask me, the the PT, the, the Haldi, the this, the, the clothes, like, oh my God, you don't wear those clothes, by the way. If you guys, all of you are getting married eventually or soon, right? Anand, you, are, you have a, it's your fiance or your girlfriend? She's kind of in the middle of those Kinda two. Engaged to be engaged, basically. Engaged to be engaged yeah. is what Audrey said once. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's like, um, I feel like um, you. it's so much about Indian weddings, the clothes, the, the you. I mean, the amount of energy that is spent. And then the day after it's over, nobody cares. <laughs> the clothes go the into clothes storage. The clothes are never worn again. They right. go into storage. You you dust them out once in five years. If you have friends who are getting married, you like literally like, uh, you're the best dressed person always because you're trying to wear your wedding clothes. Right. <laughs> you don't actually need that to be that dressed up, but you're like, where else am I ever going to, you know? So mm-hmm. I do, at weddings, I do a lot of jokes about Indian clothes and like, Mm-hmm. Indian clothes, women's clothes are absurd if you think of a sari. It's like fabric, a fabric and three safety pins. <laughs> Could you imagine if you went to J. Crew and they just gave you pant fabric and said, okay, good luck, have fun. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what our clothes are. There's no, no, right. there's no outfit. It's just material. It's a test. It's like, if you can wear this, then you can go out. <laughs> exactly. So if you can figure out the origami for six yards of fabric, have fun, like, then you can make it. Exactly. So it's like, you know, I try, I try to stick to those themes, but even that people get upset. They're like, you know how hard we work for our clothes. I was like, all right. I know you did. Mm -hmm. You've touched a bit about uh, that, like insensitivity or unwillingness to see the joke in the joke within this community. Do you have any thoughts on where that might stem from uh, or just, you know, just talk a bit about the community and why we might handle jokes in that way? We, I think we are a very stressed out people. We are Indian people in general have had a stressed out experience, uh, existence. We, we were never that group that were like, let's have a drink, mate. That's <laughs> not Indian people, you know, like that we never had like, if you think of your parents and your parents and all, do you ever think of a day when with you, you guys, with their family, they're like, let's have a drink or let's just relax. Like our idea of relaxing is doing less math. 
do a little less dial it down i yeah. think culturally we've had a very stressed out experience existence and then you add to that the stress of being an immigrant and moving here a lot of people in my generation are now dealing with elderly parents like the level of responsibilities is just never lost on you mm. and i think that there's a little bit of it what a shame because you should live Mm. you know now i'm learning that i was never i mean i'm shocked as the words are coming out of my mouth cuz i was that stressed out person mm-hmm. a year ago and i see that when people come for example to comedy clubs 90 minutes they just forget mm-hmm. they really enjoy the drink and just enjoy that moment and whatever they're saying just assume none of it is meant for you because no comedian is sitting on in their room in a basement in new york thinking about like anand's wedding when they're writing a joke <laughs> right you know they're just writing it's a riff it's going to make it really awkward on you when i ask you to perform my own my wedding at the end <laughs> right <laughs> i was going to say kidding okay um i had a question actually while you were talking was i was wondering about like according to that article by zoya you were like funny way before you were a comedian yeah and so i wondered if if doing this professionally has made it harder for you to like enjoy comedy on the outside or or people now expect you to be funny wherever you go is that weird people will be like tell a joke tell a joke and i like it's not how comedy works that's not you know i can tell a joke but it's not how like so that's a little annoying to be honest <laughs> i've become more reclusive since i've started doing comedy because i feel like i get paraded out mm. by all my friends like you know a year two years ago they were like oh they didn't want to talk about it because they were a little ashamed even though they were supportive they were like we're not sure what she's doing now it's like oh my god have you met our friend the comedian and then everybody's like tell yeah, okay do 5 minutes no do i'm like no it doesn't mm-hmm. like just like if i met like a gastroenterologist i wouldn't be like just check just check right here just, <laughs> although some people do do that right yeah, i mean i ask anand do. all the time i'm like can you diagnose me like can i just yeah. get a quick appointment <laughs> No and I prior to this I was a lawyer so I was used to that too it was like oh my mm-hmm. god you know my car got hit what do you think I'm like guys it's, it's like, <laughs> okay, I'll give you my top of the mind opinion like the way I think a doctor would or anybody would but really this is not like a professional opinion like I don't know all the details involved I don't know what you did and what you know you your car probably deserved to be hit how about that <laughs> <laughs> um but I was told my whole life that i'm funny and i really had to lean on it when my life went through a lot of ups and downs like my mom died suddenly when i was 14 and change and my dad was like you have to get married mm-hmm. so arrange i was the youngest of four three had already been arranged so mm-hmm. in his mind that's what made sense but those years when i was like basically outcasted by my own dad and i was couch surfing what you call here between friends and relatives mm. i now in hindsight believe that those years formed my comedy cuz mm. everywhere i went people knew i would keep it light so i mm. got invited to things i got you know everywhere was like you know call her because she'll make people laugh at dinner she'll mm. make, you know and and i really those years in hindsight now became the formative years when i talk to really successful really established comedians they all have moments in time when life threw something at them and they had to use humor mm. so it's now consistent like it took me 40 something years to figure it out 
but we can all point back to those years. And those are the years that even Zoya writes about. Like she reached out to my friends from when I was a teenager who all remember, oh, she used to be so funny. Yeah. But everybody's mom has something. As when we started this conversation, yeah. Indian moms generally, they all have something. Some are amazing cooks, some are amazing at like whatever other stuff. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, our culture has placed so much value on being a homemaker. And that's a valuable job, no doubt. But in our culture, it's almost to the ex- expense of the woman's entire identity. Mm-hmm. Like your whole identity should be that you are an amazing homemaker. And I don't really agree with that. Do you feel like, because you're right that you, even now, even, even, um, even when we saw you perform, it was still a lightness about your comedy, um, but there is a heaviness about your experience. And so I wonder if you feel like in the future, say, that you'd, you'd like to explore the, the darker side of life in a comedic way. I mean, yeah, you know, I will. I think I will. I think, you know, you have to get people's buy in yeah. to, to reach that next level and the next level. Like if you just open with something, First of all, already there are too many brown women talking about the heavier things in in the press, in the media. If you look at all the projects that Hollywood puts their money in, Mm -hmm. it's a lot of brown people's sad stories. Mm -hmm. That's actually another reason I went down this road. But I think if you really want to reach that space, you have to earn it. Like right now, I'm just doing light humor. People walk out of my shows and they're like, I love her. They connected on some basic level, my kid, my mother-in-law, whatever. I think if I'm able to, if I'm lucky enough to survive in this profession for a few years, then that will be the natural evolution. Right. But I'm not comfortable hitting people with it just yet. Like I have, but I'll tell you right now that I don't know a single comedian, not one who's even mildly successful, who doesn't have a very heavy life behind them. The comedy was, seems to be coming from the wounds. Oh, wow. That was one of the things we were actually thinking about asking you. It was exactly that question, which is a lot of comedians talk about that. Some comedians, um, they don't really talk. They, they, like Jerry Seinfeld, for example, seems to, yeah. Alec Baldwin said that he had a life that was like a, a boulevard of green lights. You know, that's what he called it. And, and I think some comedians are like that. And then some comedians, like, like uh like you now i'm learning right and then uh really every other comedian like recently uh uh louis anderson passed away i've been looking yeah. into his stuff and he had he's also like you today i was like thinking oh my gosh he's a little bit like her he tells a lot of stories really yeah. happy stories even though behind them there's abuse and an alcoholic father and all this you know yeah i think that's alec baldwin's opinion the people who know seinfeld and i don't know him at all consider him a tormented soul of his own kind like I don't know his backstory well yeah but I don't think it's been as easy breezy the reason Alec Baldwin thinks that is because Seinfeld guards his life like Fort Knox he is literally when he's and I've seen him in the room he does not say one word to anybody until he gets on the stage Hmm. So is it possible that there is a whole backstory that we all don't know about? I would say it's not only possible, it's probably likely. Mm -hmm. But he just doesn't know it. Like he probably caught a lot of lucky breaks too. I'm sure of it. But I'm sure if you dig a little bit deeper, there's stuff there. But he's a notoriously private person. Like he does not 
even not with the comedians not hello nothing right the guy walks in he sits in a corner and then when his name is announced and then the, and then he's just a whole different persona when he gets on stage right yeah chetan so we talked a bit about um what doesn't fly within this community right yeah. so just going to present a little scenario for you and then you go with it yeah 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 okay. imagine you have a group of indian south asians and you just want to absolutely knock this out of the park right you're looking yeah. for nines and tens it doesn't matter if you're pushing the envelope it doesn't yeah. matter if you're saying anything meaningful you just want to absolutely destroy yeah. right so what sort of content are you going to and i think the question i'm trying to ask here is what does this community find funny i think so, there are, that's a great question there are some common themes what is expected of immigrants in america is something that people find funny even though it's true like so if i poke fun at like i have a joke i'm like what do you call an indian man with two jobs lazy <laughs> the desis love it <laughs> so it it's it's a joke but it's complimentary in some right. way right so right. that kind of stuff they love they love the jokes about the boys being better than the girls because they're okay with that being jokey because the reality of it is has balanced a lot like now today all the girls in america are doing something cool they they i mean girls are outpacing boys in mm. college and future for the education so mm. they're okay with all that the problems start surfacing when uh, you do the in-law stuff is a little hairy mm. because i have had i kid you not i i do a mother in law bit and i had an indian couple sitting in the front row and the guy started laughing and the woman hit him in front of me <laughs> said, my mom is so nice to you like i was in the set like we were still there and she like started yelling at him because he was laughing <laughs> oh, at the mother in law jokes she just took it personally and then i'm sure there was some history there but like the in-law things it's it's a complicated dynamic like we get very serious it's like oh it is your it is my mother like the other cultures just don't seem to place that much like formality to that relationship that our culture does it's like oh no not her parents not his parents they're not just people it's like they're in a whole separate category of people uh so the in but jokes about wanting to make your kids go to medical school always a big hit any <laughs> joke that makes the chiropractor the punchline big hit oh no <laughs> poor chiropractors yeah poor chiropractors uh any jokes about people wanting to be art arts and artistic majors big hit because as a community we all agree that that's we don't go down we don't care about that stuff those mm-hmm. things work but generally the funniness of being an immigrant in america is is always unites like i do a joke about the use of water in america big hit because we all agree on that stuff mm. yeah. how did you react to that uh, the audience member slapping the other the guy did you clean it up <laughs> i was stunned first of all and then i said i was like oh my god are you okay cuz she whacked him hard and 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 then she starts speak she's like my mom is so nice to him i said it's not i get it i get it and then i started chastising him i was like see you see how bad you're being and then the whole <laughs> audience was laughing they were like hit him again i was like hit him again <laughs> go for it <laughs> and then it just became a quirky funny moment 
but that does the in-law stuff does get a reaction every now and again un- unknowingly i would walk into a territory where they're like oh you know some wedding related thing they must have disagreed on some you know or somebody paid for it or you know like that kind of stuff we're paying for it i used to do a joke about how back home in india the girl side would be expected to pay for the lion's share of it if not all of it now i've backed off from that joke because it kind of triggers people and you know whatever like every wedding has its own who is responsible and who's going to get their way and all and now i've just backed away if it's not worth the hassle right who are your favorite comedians auntie like who do you listen to when you're having a bad day or something so with my friends i'll tell you guys and you guys should look him up with my kids not my friends with my kids there's an uh, there's a, a mexican american comedian named fluffy have you heard uh, of him no gabriel iglesias yeah okay. yeah he hilarious if you watch his stand up my kids and i love him <laughs> and he has done a bit when he went to india to do a show So if you look up two things on YouTube I'll tell you Fluffy goes to Saudi Arabia and no Saudi Arabia or Dubai Fluffy goes no Saudi Arabia and Fluffy goes to India if you just look up these two bits you'll see what he is about and I mean he is exceptionally talented because he can do voices and like sounds and I don't have that level of all that other talent but I love watching him with my kids we've enjoyed Hasan Minhaj's special i mean i think it was exceptionally done even though i didn't necessarily agree with all of it i thought he did you guys watch a special yeah i think yeah. every desi is watched right? i think it was very well done yeah um russell peters i used to enjoy a few years ago mm. somehow he's become very raunchy now mm. and and you know in the new world him the chinese accent and all like somehow it feels wrong in 2022 even though did i laugh at it 10 years ago absolutely <laughs> but you know what i mean like in this new sensibility that we live in it feels a little misplaced mm-hmm. yeah. it's so funny that you bring that up because we did a meeting before this uh conversation and this is one of the things that i wanted to bring up even if it was like off record right yeah. just to hear your opinion on this cuz i'm in the same boat as you i was in high school i thought russell peters was the funniest thing you know and i laughed i laughed wholeheartedly i mean he's listen he's wildly successful even today don't get me wrong and i believe in a, any comedian's right to say whatever they want even chapel controversy you know i don't know if you're aware of it but yeah. people ask comedians all the time what do you think i think nothing i think he has a right to speak and if you don't like to watch him don't watch him So I there is something about that Russell Peters makes a tremendous amount of money doing private events and just touring. So people are loving it but 10 years ago I couldn't wait to see his next special. Mm. Today I'm a little bit like I hope he doesn't do that kind of stuff. I mm. hope it's something else. That's all. You know he's masterful beyond. Like if you've seen him in real life just crowd work alone this guy before he says one single joke he could spend an hour just lighting the room on fire and all he's done is what's your name what's your name and he has mm-hmm. a punch but he has a punch line like right there mm-hmm. so 
it but it just feels wrong now so i'm like you know and and there's so many other diverse voices Mm-hmm. that have become very into like i never knew that ellen degeneres was a was a stand up comedian in that very traditional way and i saw her special i thought was spectacular like i right. found it it was on netflix or something yeah it was really good and her initial 5 minutes on uh, on uh, johnny carson like in the 80s i believe was beautiful yeah and and but it's like now we know she when she did johnny carson i don't think she was out yet right no she it was wasn't. a different perspective but now we know like now you watch the same thing it it feels different cuz now you know all the things she was hiding about herself when she wrote that stuff so i'm very i'm generally very forgiving of stand up comedy like i i know what it takes to create those specials so um i i enjoy them all but i'll tell you hands down in my family when we have nothing to do we watch fluffy over and over and he has i think four specials out yeah so um what's like good recommendation uh, what's like your the best uh bit or like the best joke you've heard so far in the different ones you've watched from other people yeah or like what he are- goes to saudi arabia has a bit about how scared he was to go there and i think how edgy it is for him to just come out and say it cuz like <laughs> it feels politically incorrect to say it right he's like but but they invited me and i was like i don't want to go there what if they like arrest me <laughs> i mean the way he's handled it is so masterful mm-hmm. you know uh, and you know how he talks about at the pickup when people came to show up in uh, you know they brought these huge luxurious cars to pick up him and his team and he's like they were so scared to split up that they all piled up in one car oh, <laughs> and i can completely see that being true but i was like he has the balls to go there cuz he could easily trigger the woke mob and be like is a stereotyping you know but come on like if you're going to a country that's that different on the spectrum of democracy like mm-hmm. are you not going to be scared <laughs> right. So I would say that that 20 minute bit of all the bits that I've seen is my favorite. Hmm. I've never I've never heard of that one, but I'll, I'll have to check that. You out. should look it up cuz it's yeah. just it's not only that he did it, he's done it so masterfully like with such a light touch like fluffy kids love fluffy. It's mm-hmm. all clean comedy. That's the other thing. I'm a clean comedian and I have a lot of respect for clean comedians cuz the the desire to just you don't know what to say fuck it will get a laugh right bitch it will get a laugh but the people who don't go down that road i understand and appreciate that struggle so much mm-hmm. that that they exist at another level for me and i strive to be at that level someday mm-hmm. like seinfeld doesn't use any curse words yeah. like it's that level of thinking and work just sheer amount of work you have to do to guarantee a punchline where you can't fall because you'll see otherwise comedians all the time they're not sure about the punchline or it didn't land they're like oh fuck you guys don't know right. and people are laughing because he said the f word not because mm-hmm. the joke was smart sebastian maniscalco is like that he's this i um, love he's another one of my favorites he's another wonderful one yeah yeah very smart very i mean mars jobrani so i'm going to uh, be performing at the kennedy center with mars jobrani in march 
Wow. So he he is using me to open for him. Uh, he's Persian American. I don't know if you know him. He's Persian mm-hmm. American. Brilliant. And the first brown guy, first brown male comedian who wants to help a brown auntie. Usually the guys are very sweet to me, the brown guys, mm-hmm. but they will not want to collaborate with me ever because oh, I'm too old. Mm. Okay. They, they, they act, and the Indian comedians from India, they act wounded that I'm doing this at all. Hmm. Zero collaboration. I begged and pleaded to open for somebody. I'm not even going to name him because I don't care. But he was doing a show in London. I said, can I get a 10 minutes? I'll open for you. I'll kill. I'll give you the warmest crowd. I don't know. I don't know. Talk to my team. I did everything he asked me to do. I bought a ticket to London and I found out the day before the show that they had dumped me and hired, like booked another guy. Oh my God. So brown guys from India and even the brown male comedians here, not Indians, not very wanting to collab at all is my experience. Mm-hmm. But Mars is the first one. And for his best show, Kennedy Center, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. He called me and I was like, are you joking? And he said, yeah, Z, you're good. You're really good. That makes me so happy. And I was mm-hmm. like, you know, I know that we share an audience, right? The Persian American community is very similar to the Indian community. So I could see the synergies. It would be so fun for us to work together. But I w- and I've been very grateful. But his specials too, so brilliant. And he does a lot of political humor too, but like really brilliant. Mm-hmm. So do you usually end up collaborating oh, sorry, Jacob, with like non, non-Indian people yeah. then? Like, and then how often is your crowd like diverse or is it usually like mostly Indian people? No, my, I, the Indian people thing was at the beginning. Now it's okay. like everybody because I perform at all the mainstream clubs in, in America. Right, right. I'll tell you the community that has rolled out the red carpet for me and I've been so blessed is the black community. Oh, okay. so it turns out that a lot of our family dynamics are similar. Oh. Like right. The whole I love you thing now feels like a very white people thing. Because right. all the colored people are like, we don't say it either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't go around saying I love you, I love you all the time. <laughs> you know, because that's one of my most popular jokes on social media and even in the clubs. So they, the black community, even like the... Name the biggest comedians. So complimentary, so gentle. Kevin Hart was the first one to give me a break. I didn't even know how his team found me. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. A year and a half ago, they were the first ones to put me on a TV show. And at that time, like I was so new, I didn't even know how they found me. Mm. And I kept asking them, I was like, how did you guys find me? I was <laughs> not working any high profile club at that time. And they were like, we, we keep our eye on what's happening. And since then, consistently, if I need anything, if I call his office, I know they're going to help me. Wow. And they've been very progressive. Like my manager is a black guy now and he's so progressive. He's like, he's fighting for me in Hollywood every day to do this, to do this, to do this. So I've been blessed in that way. But disappointingly, I will tell you that the brown dudes, mm-hmm. not so collaborative. And that's like such a space that's like missing. Cause like I said, like you can get both sides of the coin, right? You can get the ABCD experience, get their take, and then you get the other flip side. And I feel like that would work so beautifully together. Um, 
but yeah, that is disappointing. But I'm they glad that you're best. deservedly getting attention in the right places or some of the right places. Yeah, yeah. And I don't, I don't slow down for anybody. Like I said, yeah. if you're an entrepreneur, you're a founder, you're doing anything of your own, this is true, comedy or not you've got to be pig-headed and headstrong about what you want to do. So like even when that guy, the comedian who bailed on me after I bought the ticket, I was like, you know what? Listen, dude, we're both in the same industry now. You, This is all going to come around. You know, a year from now, we'll see who needs who. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because I'm going to keep working. You're not stopping me. And Actually, it would be nicer if we collab, but you know, they have their own complications. I know I'm like, I have a lot of empathy overall, but there's a lot of, lot of good comedians making way in the world. I'm really happy. Mm -hmm. Like I'm very happy for all of them. Yeah. Um, We're getting close to the end of like an hour. I just want to make sure we're mindful of your time, but I just had a question that I, I wanted to channel some Zarna auntie energy to my mom. So I was wondering if there's anything that you would say to, the moms and aunties out there. Okay, I'm going to say it and I'm making a lot of assumptions. So just hang in there with me. Yeah. Uh, because I, every mom might be different, but I'm going to make some assumptions about our community. And I'm going to say to the moms that I know that you guys have raised amazing kids. Like you guys are here in this room talking to me. Amazing, right? You care. The fact that you care about what I think is out, it's just, it's amazing to me. I wish my kids grow up to be like you guys thoughtful, caring, trying to figure out what's happening in the world. Uh, but you can you can raise an amazing kids and be yourself and honor who you are. Mm. I find that our cu- culture has just put motherhood on such an impossible pedestal that like literally your whole life becomes about, he didn't eat this sabzi today. He didn't like, it's okay. At some point you can let it go. And let people be, and, and focusing on yourself is not a selfish thing to do. That is also a part of being a, of a healthy family is that the mom is doing something she loves. Yeah. So my message to all your moms and any aunties watching is that find that thing that you love and do it just for you. Not because you're kid, not, you know. And today there's so many avenues. Like if you like to cook or sew or whatever, even doing a TikTok channel on it could get you in a business. Mm-hmm. You literally don't even have to leave your home. Social media is dominated by women. I don't know if you guys know this. I was, it's so, I was on an Instagram panel of creators, like up and coming creators. 70 of us were invited. 68 were women. Wow. One was a transgender person and one was a guy. That's how much we dominate that space, the social media space. So I say to all my friends now who are aunties to you guys, whatever you like, like photography is suddenly the most in demand like skill right now. Everybody mm-hmm. needs photos. Every business needs photos. Every artist needs photos. I'm like, even something that doesn't feel like there's a long education curve ahead of it, like that would be intimidating to me, to, to somebody wanting to start out but like everybody knows how to take a good photo do two youtube lessons and buy one camera you're in business yeah you know so my message to everybody is that do something that makes you happy and you it may lead i find that in our community the women have been taught that if if your husband and kids or your family is happy you've done your job but you're more than just your job 
I always find a way to plug Audrey's mom in every conversation we have. Audrey's mom knits like these beautiful scarves and, uh, you know, uh, just protection against the cold. It's like so cool to see her mom work. I think, are you already wearing something that was made by your mom today or not? No, today? not today. <laughs> <laughs> Is that not true? Today. She like, she loves to knit. Oh, oh, uh, sewing, knitting, crocheting, anything like that's her thing. So when you were talking about that, I immediately thought of my mom too. I was like, yeah. you know, like doing something that's for her. And she's like, you know, pushing the artisan markets and stuff, trying to get on social media and all that. But I mean, hundred percent, I was like mentally just like snapping the whole time. It's like, so true. You know, we've been taught to think that if we're marketing our skills and if we're looking for money, if we're making money, then that there's some shame associated with it for the moms. But here's a dem- here's a statistic for you that you guys should all share with your moms. The number one demographic of people living under the poverty line in America is older women. Hmm. Because they don't invest in financial literacy. They don't invest in necessarily in working or a skill everything is good as long as there's a spouse or there is a kid who's willing to take but you know things life is unpredictable Mm -hmm. and that's the number one demographic of people who live under the poverty line this is not to say it's going to happen to anyone but we should be aware of the risks we're taking like i this is why when i started i was like i'm running a business i don't there is no fucking around when it comes to my work Mm-hmm. I have an assistant. I have a staff. Everything is done the way it should be done. I get paid for my work. And I encourage every Indian auntie, whatever you're doing, small or big, treat it like a business. Mm-hmm. If somebody is ordering a scarf from your mom, I promise you, if she sells one scarf and it's done well, it's going to lead to that second order and that third order. Mm-hmm. But you have to believe you're running a business and not a hobby for it to compound that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and by the way, I'm happy to do a shout out for your mom or any of your moms or anybody, if you, if you would like, if, if sure. that would help anybody, oh my God, especially your mom, if she's trying to get in, like send me her <laughs> stuff or, you know, uh, her social media handles and whatever, I'll do a shout out. We are willing, the world is now willing more than ever, especially to help the Indian women, the Brown women it's we're in that space. So use it. Mm-hmm. I beg my friends, my friends who are stay-at-home moms now in New York, I beg them. I'm like, if I was you, God, I would start any business, like make the chai business, this business, that, whatever. Just get in the game. Mm-hmm. At the smallest level, whatever makes you comfortable. You can do even like, you know what? You don't want to create anything. Even the skill of editing videos, just sit at your desk and edit other people's videos. Mm-hmm. is so in demand people like me can't find editors and it's literally like a few youtube tutorials and you know how to to edit a video you don't even have to leave your house That's to have a, a to have a little business right now and you're making it a lot easier just by existing as an example of a of a businesswoman who's actually succeeding both in the business and in the arts which is such a cool thing that you have both of you know um yeah, as I said, I could I couldn't afford it. Like I'm being honest. Like I'm yeah. scared. I'm scared of getting old in this country. Yeah. There's no community here, like in that way, in that Indian mm-hmm. way. There's no like what are you gonna do? You need money to live. And and it's okay to say that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's okay to say that. Like when men say it, people don't question it. Women can question. Like, we need money too. Yeah, it's true. Okay. 
Well, if Kevin Hart's phone number is, uh, you know, different by then, you can always stay with one of us. I'm sure we. I, know. <laughs> um, I feel like in this space, your approach to it, which you've made very clear, and also your effort towards your material, it shows in the in the comedic timing. You know, so just to lavish a bit of compliment on you, I I was listening to your material leading up to this conversation, and I heard the same joke. Right. I, I heard it at different venues. Yeah. I feel like, wow, she is nailing this timing every single time. Right. So that goes to show that you've put the effort into it. And I feel like you're only going to reap the rewards moving forward. So amazing. Very sweet. Thank you. But I think any one of us, any of your moms, any auntie, any uncle even looking to change it up. If you come at it with the intention that this is your business, that you're not no one's doing you a favor, you're not doing them a favor. You make that perfect scarf, package it beautifully, price it, price it correctly, no discounts. Mm-hmm. And if you put that product out there in the world, I promise you, you will get that next order and the next order because all of us, if I told you that there is a beautiful product out there that is well-made, thoughtfully done, we would all be buyers. Mm-hmm. And the world is looking for that. There's so much impersonal garbage out there right now that if somebody actually cares, they pop. That's absolutely true. You know, I actually, this resonates with me. I'm not an Indian auntie. I have to start with that. But I, I did try to do something where I, I like to draw faces. I like to draw portraits. And for a while I was thinking, boy, it'd be really cool to try to sell some portraits. And, yeah. um, but then I, I was like, who's going to buy from me? So I priced them at like, I think 20 bucks a face, which is like 20% of like the, rate of of any artist who does portraits you know and um and i think that that was a uh, now that now that you're describing it now it makes a lot more sense why to price it normally no you price it at the right price even a little higher but then you deliver something exquisite yeah and if you believe that you're doing something exquisite then the buyer will know too and the world will know why do you have to play in the discount market you don't need to you can't compete there you're not going to compete with Walmart printing portraits, like w- however they do it. You know what I mean? You can't compete there anyway. Exactly. But you right. create, like, I, if you want to get into, by the way, happy to do a shout out for you too. Uh, but if you want to do the art, I'll, I can point you to two women I know who have started art as a hobby and mm-hmm. now have a thriving business. They're creating mm-hmm. prints. Their prints are being purchased into uh greeting cards and all kinds of things with portraits i'm sure there's a whole another evolution that could be had if you chose to do it and but do it well and the world will fall in love with you yeah sure was there a turning point between in your internal dialogue as you were moving towards this was there a turning point between i'm not sure if i can do this to yeah i can definitely do this or did you always feel in the back of your mind that I have the quality, I have the content, I know I can do this? No, of course you're insecure and I'm always insecure. But I have to remind myself that I don't have the luxury to walk away. Like Indian women in particular will give up easily. Oh, I don't know. He didn't like me. This is personal. The club. No, the people who succeed at anything, including you guys at whatever you guys are doing, you probably failed a lot along the way, you know, and, and, and that's part of the thing. So of course I have my insecurities, but I was like, you know what? I can't walk away from this. This is my fight. I I'm in it. 
the first club gave me an opportunity for a reason nobody does anybody favors and now i have to keep proving myself so there are times when i have my own pity party like it's so much harder for me than anybody else but but it's so much easier there are comedians out there who will say zarna gets booked because there's no one else like her it's so easy for mm-hmm. her so you know it's a perspective thing too but i came in wanting to run a business and that the because that was my state of mind i've always kept that front and center like no entrepreneur runs a business and expects an easy road it's never going to be easy uh, but yeah i mean i'm so excited to hear about your face portraits i'm going to look them up right as soon as we're done they are but i'm happy happy to give any of you guys a shout out whatever you're doing you know like i would say do it well and price it high that's the way to do it and in your case if you're not depending on it for income entirely the pressure is really off you sh- you can afford to take that shot mm-hmm. like you don't have to do it the way somebody who like who's like i just need the business so you price mm-hmm. it low so but generally i have found that if you like my comedy is expensive people book me they always push back they're like you know but this one is only charging the i'm like with hire them i know <laughs> what it takes for me to show up and deliver the the level of performance that i want to deliver and i will defend my work and i lose business over it too but i would much rather get one job that pays properly than three jobs where they and the the thing about yeah, a lot of business marketing books have commented on this you should since you're thinking about this space i'll let you know people who buy a cheap product or a discounted product are actually harder to please than people who buy luxury products mm. the people who are looking at at price as part of the factor of the purchase they're very hard to please in general because they're constantly thinking did i get value did i get value did i get value with somebody who's thinking i want this person they they're more thinking how am i going to make it work because this is what i want or this is the product that i want it's like we buy iphones as absurdly expensive as it is because we just love the damn thing yeah <laughs> that reminds me of a there's one of these books that's like that actually it's it's called the psychology of persuasion it opens with the story about um uh, how there's a jeweler who couldn't sell a certain uh, a rack of jewelry and so he was leaving town he told his attendant he said price it at 1/5 and see what happens while i'm gone and uh and the 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 worker read it wrong and priced it five times what it was worth and then they were all gone they were all sold yeah. by the time the owner mm-hmm. came back yeah it's an amazing thing it is there's truth to it i've seen i've done discount jobs because friend asked and whatever and i've always regret now i just don't do it i i show up there and even at like half my price a third of my price they like you know could you do 10 more minutes could you wait another hour could you come back i was like dude like i i'm a professional this is what we agreed to they never happy and the the people who don't question the price at all thrilled and then i want to do more then mm-hmm. i'm like you know do you want me to stay an extra 10 minutes so mm-hmm. it's like a whole it there's a psychological so for example for for uh, adra's mom i would say design like a very simple one page website but make it look like a luxury what a luxury that a woman who loves to knit is going to be willing to knit for you 
Ooh, most man, of the hot take I'm about to tell this to my mom right now because I have to tell her like she'll price something at like five dollars ten dollars I'm like Amo you worked really hard on this like yeah. price it up um but yeah, I think like we like- get that inclination to like oh but it's not that good it's you know just hedging even like whatever I do like I do like a little bit of art on the side and I'm always like uh you know like discounting myself but it's something to like overcome you have to overcome it. Listen, we're all going to need money and we're going to need lots of it. And especially if you guys plan to have kids going forward and have families, trust me, the burn rate only grows and goes fast. Stop <laughs> looking at this as a choice. Mm-hmm. If you're putting time into creating something and marketing it and having the right support to support it, mm-hmm. all that is the part of the value of that item and price it that way. And the world will respect you for it. Like if I ask you right now, name me a product that you buy that is just genuinely created from a place of love. You would have to think. Yeah. It's not like toothpaste. It's not being made on on an assembly line. Yeah. Even to get a proper cup of chai in a restaurant, like you hope that they do it right. (laughs) Right? Am I right? Very true. Assume it. Because they're going to mess it up. They're going to put too much milk. They're going to just throw it in the whole bucket of cinnamon in it. We all know what it is. But when somebody does it the way that it should be done with love, there's a price for it. And you should not hesitate at all. And you'll actually even see more success. Mm-hmm. It's, it's part of marketing psychology. Books have done studies on it that, that you succeed more if you go the other way. That's you do it at 10, 5, 10, 15, $20 projects, people assume it's garbage and that you didn't really care. Even though mm-hmm. you cared, it is not garbage. But right. that price alone makes people feel that it is. Right. Well, so kind of the way, kind of the I, way it might be in math class where, you know, the teacher does the problem for you on the board and you're like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, I'm just trying to think how I can apply this, like confidence and just understanding the worth of the work that we put in every day and then doing it on a day to day basis. You know, because once again, we have we have like this beautiful voice telling us, like, yes, you can do that. This is how you should be living. Um, And then I'm just trying to imagine the pitfalls or the obstacles in terms of actually pulling that off in the real life, you know, so. But don't even think about the pitfalls. Why? It's completely not productive. Mm-hmm. Whatever the pitfalls are, you'll deal with them. There are any number of people in the world who are not half as talented as they could be as comedians you've never heard of. I see it every day in comedy. There are comedians in smaller clubs that are so good, but they will not succeed because they never asked for their price. No one mm-hmm. is going to come to your house and just give you the price. You have to fight for it if it's a business. There are any number, there, you know how many people think Kevin Hart is a shit comedian? How many people think that he is, his jokes aren't funny? He's doing okay. Guess what? <laughs> he fought for himself. So right. you, if, you start, if you start believing and thinking that this is not a luxury you have, I think your mindset will change and you'll learn to defend your work more. And it will inspire you to do great work. The, the, prob- the other problem with doing a discount job is that once you start lapsing into that low price market, you're like, oh, it's only paying 10 bucks. I don't need to finish it. Put it in a bag. You don't need to put it in a box. So quality of your work will also gradually decline because you, you've now made your peace with that lower price. 
but you get one gig that's paying you your market or above you're like oh my god let me try how can i make this better so that i impress the person who bought it so you see it becomes a whole cycle of creating better circumstances for the buyer and for you andi i wanted to ask you because you mentioned at the beginning that you might have some questions for us do you still have those questions yeah i mean what kind of you, what kind of jokes do you guys want to hear from a person like me from from an auntie like me like do you guys get upset when i say brown kids complain a lot is that upsetting to you guys no it it feels like i feel like <laughs> what i feel personally whenever you talk about all this stuff is like i feel like um my mom is talking through you in a way and i feel like i'm so proud that um that you are representing that voice of these people who i mean in in my mind indian women um are the receptacle of art because they have so much that they feel but then so much that they don't say so it becomes like a crucible for creating all these diamonds of insight and um and so that's that's what i feel i, I feel like uh i feel the the word is always pride for me but it's it's second to like joy of course from hearing from hearing what you say and laughing but um what i feel lingering like now that i now that i know you're performing at candy center i'm like oh i'm so proud you know yeah i think like whenever you like i i was listening to some of your material on the way here and you know heard that part about like oh you know kids like complain so much and i was like you know what i think that even we you know we amongst ourselves like our recognize our generation like we'll get annoyed at each other too it's just like man we complain a lot or like you know so you even hear that even from uh, like our generation or whatever kind of hearing like maybe we whine a lot or you know drama and all this kind of stuff so i think it's hilarious and i think um you know it doesn't you have to be able to take a joke right like if you're going to crack jokes you have to be able to take a joke and um yeah i mean like one unsaid in like much less nicer words but you know it's just nice to hear that other side um i think you're right like we've heard one side of it so much so heavy coming into it so it's great to hear the other perspe- perspective and yet one one question this is on the other thing we were saying on like pricing how do you start out at the beginning making sure that like So like I used to do photography a lot in high school okay. where I would take photos for people and I did the same thing that everyone talked about where you price it a lot lower and then I actually got really overwhelmed because I had too many of these like things to do and I I wasn't getting paid enough so I sort of just stopped but then like how do you cuz if you price it too high at the beginning then you're not going to get any business right Right So, so you you but let's say let's say I'm just throwing a number out let's say $50 was getting you a lot of bookings Yeah But at a hundred and fifty, you were getting none. Okay. So If you want to be safe, at least go to seventy-five or eighty. And the rule of thumb in marketing in creative services is that if you get three bookings easily at a certain price, then it's time to up your price. Mm, so okay. even so if you even if you want to do it at twenty bucks, you, I'm not saying start out at a thousand. Let's <laughs> say you do it at twenty bucks, and you're like, you know what? the third inquiry you get after that you say to yourself now the next stuff has to start at 40 mm, okay i see it's like so then it's gradual you're not just like landing yourself into this realm of trying to sell something luxury but know in your mind that you want to work yourself up to a number where you can do the work with some sanity you're not going crazy yeah you feel valued for your time and for for your effort and it's a comfortable number let's say at A hundred bucks, you got one booking, but like it's been it's been like anxiety provoking. Then 
you you stick to the hundred and you offer some discounts. That's how the pros yeah. do it. You stick to the you say you know usually I charge a hundred, but for this one I'll give you twenty percent off. You'll still make more than when you never tried to go higher. Mm, okay, I see. But the rule of thumb is that if you sell three things or you make three bookings at a certain price, it's time to up the number. Right. Okay. Man, yeah. Ati, you just gave like a whole MBA lesson yeah. in five minutes. Thank <laughs> you for saving us all of that. No, I'm so. And uh, Audrey, you you know when you mentioned before, uh, we when you were talking about your mom's business and this, like. I feel so passionately about women who are who have a creative edge and want to get in and are nervous that I'm like, dude, this pandemic destroyed moms. You know, Biden's job report came out. I think millions of new jobs were added. Ninety plus percent went to men, mm-hmm. and the remaining went to single women. This pandemic, more than any other time, has destroyed mothers. And if we don't stand up and fight for what's ours, like no one's gonna do it for us. Mm. So you know, I think like, however slow, however gradual, like Drishi's question, like you don't start out at the top, but know that that's where you want to go. Mm. You have to be very mindful that you're not gonna be playing in this discount pool forever. Right. You get three, move up. Get three more, move up. Like, I started at like nothing. I I was doing. During the pandemic, I was doing comedy for free in the New York City subway. But mm. I was very purposeful that it's improving my skill. Mm. That if I could do it there, I could do it anywhere. Though there's lots of videos of me doing comedy. In I would walk in and be like, "You guys want to hear a joke?" And pe- New York, you know, people are so skeptical. <laughs> so it was a whole like you think crowd work in a club, like try doing it in a in a in a train. Oh my God. But I learned every day. I was like, you know what? If I keep doing this, when the world opens up, I'll be ready. Mm. And that's exactly w- what happened. You know, so because that, you that kind of how you started out. Like, sorry, I know we're so over time, but like, is, how did you start learning how to write and do comedy from the very beginning? When you were just when you decided to do it professionally, like you started. I mean, out- honestly, I didn't know when the first open mic I went to. I had no idea of stand up comedy. My first line of the, when I got on that stage was like, "White people do this. <laughs> this is a job. You stand up and you just like." It never occurred to me that this could be a job. So, but then once I spent a little bit of time in that world, I learned. I was like, okay, this is a joke. This is a... today. If you want to learn anything, pretty much, like maybe even how to do brain surgery, I don't know. But <laughs> barring that, you want to learn something, it's out there for free. Mm-hmm. There's really no excuse. You don't need to go to some fancy school. You don't need to spend thousands of dollars on a degree. Just literally, I sat. I I'm a self-taught screenwriter. I don't know if you guys no. saw the my backstory on that but i wrote basically the story of how i immigrated here in a romcom around it that screenplay won the top number one prize at austin film festival it beat out 11000 plus scripts and it was completely self like i took one lesson with a screenwriter screenwriting class in new york nothing fancy not like some ivy league college nothing and the guy told me he's like write about what you know and i started writing about my life we want to close this on like one of your favorite bits that you do anything that you feel like would be good for our audience to know like what you do and get into you sure so i like because my kid i my first kid is in college now 
and I'm new to the whole college thing. Um, uh, I've learned something. Like, I feel like I've uncovered the scam of all scams. Like, I really didn't realize that here the parents would get no say in what their kid is studying in college. <laughs> Like, you know, you can't, you can't tell. I really thought I would call the college up and say, Compsai 1, Compsai 2. <laughs> For my kids, okay, she wants to have fun. Give her one class in chemistry. <laughs> and they, like, they don't talk to me. They hang up on me. They're so rude. <laughs> so I had to ask my kid. I was like, what are you studying? What are you enrolled in? this is funny because you just talked to zoya on the phone and so i know ceramics she's doing ceramics ah eighty thousand dollars to learn how to make clay pots (laughs) do you know who else makes clay pots villagers in india yeah (laughs) because they have nothing else to do but auntie then she can charge her eighty dollars per clay pot Oh my God, we're never recovering that. Forget everything I said. Just forget this point. Delete the whole podcast. Everybody go become a doctor. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. This Um, was so fun. I hope that I gave you something good to work with. Absolutely. And uh, we can find you. are the auntie that we all needed. So thank you so much for being so generous with your time. No, you guys are amazing. You should know the fact that you're thinking of me and wanted to talk to me. I'm honored, really deeply honored. Like most kids don't care. And mm-hmm. that separates you guys and you guys will be wildly successful for it. Caring is the ingredient. It's the ingredient right now. Oh, okay. Well, where can, the, where can our audience find you online? What can they search? I mean, literally add Zarna Garg everywhere. Add okay. Zarna Garg on Insta, TikTok. And, but stay away from my Yelp reviews because my mother-in-law has been writing Yelp reviews <laughs> tracking me. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> literally somebody wrote a positive review and that review got a response saying you think she's so funny why don't you ask me dang yeah dang she's pretty funny too yeah yeah <laughs> he thinks she's got a career coming now <laughs> okay all right guys i'll see you guys later bye bye thank you bye. so thank much you. for having me Namaste. thank you yeah.